0: Hi, this is Dr. Timothy Bartell, and this is the Poetry Corner podcast at the St. Constantine School. So we're two episodes into our Illegal Voices in Poetry series. We have talked about Phyllis Wheatley and one of her major influences, Alexander Pope. We're going to jump forward to the 20th century and talk about a poet whose name I have to apologize for in advance because it's very difficult to pronounce properly. His name is Sheshwaf Miłosz. It doesn't look like it's pronounced that way. Uh, His last name is spelled M-I-L-O-S-Z, and I think most people call him Milos or Milosz. It's actually Miłosz I hear, but I am a monolingual American English speaker, so I apologize in advance. Miłosz is a Polish poet primarily, but he ended up in America for the last part of his life, and so kind of started off his career as a really important poet in Poland and to Polish history, and we'll get into that in a moment. But he ended his life actually as a major voice and major presence in the San Francisco poetry scene. That's a little odd to go from Poland to San Francisco, but here's his story. Miłosz was born in Lithuania in 1911. And he grew up speaking Polish, and he was actually of Polish descent, but Lithuania was where his parents had moved. And sadly, he was in Lithuania and Poland for some of the most painful, some of the most devastating, some of the most atrocious experiences in Europe in the 20th century. So the Nazis took over Poland, and Miłosz was in Poland at the time. He was living in Warsaw. He became involved as a young man, a young artist, someone who is dedicated to literary art, poetry in particular, but he also worked uh, in the theater. He was involved in what we would call the resistance, but he wasn't stockpiling weapons. He wasn't, you know, acting as a spy. He was in the underground resistant art scene. So much of his poetry from the late 1930s uh, through mid-1940s is written in the context of being a creative member of the resistance. Now, if the Nazis got wind of, if they found the publications that these resistance writers were circulating around. They could be rounded up. They could be put in concentration camps. They could be killed. This was very dangerous stuff, especially because they weren't training as warriors. They weren't training to fight back with martial arms. We've talked about in our last poetry podcast that some poets are poets who celebrate uh, military conquest, military violence, military solutions. That wasn't Miwosh in his life. He wanted to resist through art. Now, in 1945, he writes a poem called Dedication, which kind of sums up a lot of his struggle with poetry, struggle with how to relate to not just his fellow resistance members, but also his fellow citizens in Poland and Lithuania who maybe were okay with or accepted Nazi occupation. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, when Warsaw is liberated from Nazi rule, it's liberated by the communists. And after this poem is written for a good decade, Miłosz would work for the communist government as a foreign minister in Paris, and he saw things getting worse and worse in communist Poland to the point where he was asked to come back to Poland around 1960 by the Soviet government. And he said, no, I think I'm quitting and staying here. And the fact that he was in Paris meant they couldn't touch him. And he lived in Paris for a number of years and then, weirdly, was offered a position to teach at the University of Berkeley in California. And so thought, well, that's a lot farther from uh, the USSR than Paris is, and so ended up in Berkeley in the 1960s and got to be this very odd presence and voice in the 1960s Berkeley counterculture. He had lived through Nazi occupation, he had lived through communist occupation, and was even kind of forced to be an official spokesperson and tool of the communist government. So Miłosz's perspective on totalitarian rule, on totalitarian regime, on art within totalitarian experience, is so important in, in the 20th century. And in fact, in 1980, once he had been out of Uh, the communist scene for uh, a couple decades, he was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature. And in fact, the USSR couldn't contain his writing after he got the Nobel Prize. And so they they said, okay, we know people are going to try and read him. So they put together a Soviet collection of his poems and said, okay, these are the poems we're most okay with you reading, and and sold them. And apparently, I think they sold 200,000 copies when they were first published, which was kind of unheard of in, in the USSR. So... Miłosz is a very interesting voice, and I think he's one of the most important candidates in the 20th century for being an illegal voice in poetry. So I want to read his poem called Dedication. This was written in Warsaw in 1945, as you have this transition from Nazi occupation to communist rule. Dedication. You whom I could not save, listen to me, Try to understand this simple speech as I would be ashamed of another. I swear, there is in me no wizardry of words. I speak to you with silence like a cloud or a tree. What strengthened me for you was lethal. You mixed up farewell to an epoch with the beginning of a new one, inspiration of hatred with lyrical beauty, blind force with accomplished shape. Here is the valley of shallow Polish rivers, and an immense bridge going into white fog. Here is a broken city, and the wind throws the screams of gulls on your grave when I am talking with you. What is poetry which does not save nations or people? A connivance with official lies, a song of drunkards whose throat will be cut in a moment. Readings for Sophomore Girls That I wanted good poetry without knowing it. That I discovered late its salutary aim. In this and only this I find salvation. They used to pour millet on graves or poppy seeds. To feed the dead who would come disguised as birds. I put this book here for you. Who once lived so that you should visit us no more. So this is a poem that has an interesting history, actually, in becoming Englished. It was written in Polish, obviously, uh, in Warsaw in 1945. And a lot of major Eastern European poets have been translated by very accomplished translators into English over the years. Miwash is a little bit unique because he himself translated this with the help of the American, in fact, Berkeley poet, uh, Robert Haas. So this is... A probably decades later translation into English by the poet himself and it's one of the reasons why I kind of felt a little more confident reading you this poem because the poet himself got to make the final choices about how it would appear in English it's not another translator saying "Ah, I think this is how it should sound it's it's the poet himself and if you listen to it and if you look at it on the page you'll see that it's not, it's not conventionally formal in English, but it's not an English poem. It's, it's a Polish poem that has been translated into English for English readers. We're a step removed from its original sound, its original form. But that being said, there are lines that are iambic, uh, that are almost iambic pentameter, that are very beautiful. What strengthened me for you was lethal. I swear there is in me no wizardry of words. These are iambic lines, uh, and you can tell that especially as Miwash was becoming more and more comfortable with speaking and writing in English, his English starts taking on the cadences of the great English masters. Uh, We talked about uh, Alexander Pope in the last podcast. We've talked about a lot of poems written in pentameter, and these lines in dedication are becoming English poetic lines in very beautiful, sometimes haunting ways. What is dedication about? It's a very weird poem, partly because the audience of it is interesting. It starts off with the word you, and I think we've talked about this before in this podcast. I know I talk about it a lot to my creative writing students, whenever you choose to use the words you and I in a poem, you're asking your audience to enter an intimate space that's more intimate than if you just talk about people or one does this or one does that. When when it's you and I, both the writer as speaker and the listener as audience are implicated in a you-I relationship or are asked to be implicated in that. And I think sometimes I, as a reader, react poorly to a poem when it seems to be overly familiar or familiar in a way that I feel like it hasn't earned. I say, no, I refuse to be the you. Show me that I should trust you enough to be the you in a poem. Now, this poem is coming at the end of Miwash's third collection of poems, and there are many poems that don't have you and I in it. So I think, especially read right in context, this poem has earned the you and I. But the you is actually really interesting, because the you doesn't end up being the beloved, or a friend, or a benevolent listener. The you is a very interesting person. You whom I could not save, listen to me. Whoa. You whom I could not save, especially if you know anything about this poet and this poem, who is that person? Is that someone who the Nazis killed? Is that, oh goodness, is that someone who became a Nazi collaborator? You whom I could not save? When I first read this, I thought, oh no, it's, it's, it's someone who's been killed. Uh, he couldn't save them. Ah, sad. But as we keep reading, I think it becomes even darker than that. You whom I could not save, listen to me. Try to understand this simple speech as I would be ashamed of another. I swear there is in me no wizardry of words. I speak to you with silence like a cloud or a tree. This is an interesting, a little bit self deprecating, but a little bit trying to convince the reader of honesty, of earnestness. I'm not trying to trip you up with words. I'm not trying to cast an enchantment over you as a poet might try and, you know, stir up your feelings to manipulate you. I'm not trying to do that, he's saying. What strengthened me for you was lethal. You mixed up farewell to an epoch with the beginning of a new one, inspiration of hatred with lyrical beauty, blind force with accomplished shape. Okay, interesting. So this you has very different interpretations of the world, of cultural happenings perhaps, than the speaker. What strengthened me, Miwash, or the speaker is saying, for you was lethal. You mixed up farewell to an epoch with the beginning of a new one. So that which strengthens the speaker seems deadly to the you. That which was having to say goodbye to an epoch that was implied that they loved to the speaker seemed like a whole new exciting beginning to the you. That which seemed like hatred seemed like beauty. And I think this is where we start to see there are strong implications that this person has bought into a political regime, bought into a way of life, a way of seeing that society needed to be ordered that resulted in actual atrocity. Hatred seems like beauty to them. Blind force with accomplished shape. and and it's hard not to just totally historicize this. And I think it's okay to do with a Miwash poem with a poem of resistance, because the 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 dream of the ordered fascist state, as we know in in Hitler's rhetoric and fascist rhetoric, seemed to be, oh, no, we're finally going to get a handle on the right way to organize society, who to kick out, who to kill, who to promote, who should be in charge, who should be subservient to them. It will be a beautiful, finally ordered system. Oh, it turns out we need to commit genocide. <laughs> and so uh, Miwash is, is saying this in an interesting way. He, he's, he's acknowledging, look, I know you, you with the fascist outlook— I know you think that this is beautiful order, but see what I see. See that it is hatred and blind force. And also I think this this first line uh, of this second stanza that I read, what strengthened me for you is lethal, it's also an acknowledgement that the fascist perspective sees Poland keeping its old ways of doing things as lethal. That The fascist perspective is threatened by the tradition, the pre-fascist tradition of Poland. Now, one thing we haven't talked about yet and we don't have time to get very much into is that, like Pope, Miłosz is Catholic. And even though he writes very honestly of struggling with the justice of God in an unjust world and, and the presence of God in the suffering of victims of both Nazi and communist atrocity, Miłosz remained a Catholic and is one of the most important Eastern European Catholic voices, along with people like uh, Pope John Paul II in the 20th century. So Catholicism, traditional uh, Polish Catholicism, he acknowledges that looks lethal to the fascist. And, of course, it would look very lethal to the communists too. And I think it's interesting that this is written as Poland is moving over from being fascist-dominated to communist-dominated. And this could be turned toward a communist you as well. And I don't know whether Miłosz actually had that double meaning in mind or not, but I think it could be applied to anyone who is imposing through violence— their order on someone who is trying to hold on to the good, trying to hold on to that which seems uh, traditional and that which seems like home, there's, there's sort of a dual danger. Each sees the other as dangerous. Of course, Miwash's speaker, and I think we like this in resistance poets, Miwash's speaker doesn't end in moral quandary, saying, Well, gosh, I, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's, what's lethal and what's beautiful. Miwash knows, or at least uh, his speaker presents, that in fact the U has made a big mistake. The U is in fact wrong. Here is the valley of shallow Polish rivers and an immense bridge going into white fog. Here is a broken city. And the wind throws the scream of gulls on your grave when I am talking with you. Whoa. You is dead. The wind throws the scream of gulls on your grave when I am talking with you. This is an I standing before a grave. So in one sense, this is a you that the speaker could not save from their ideology, their totalitarian ideology. But this is also a you who died in that. This isn't a you who could say, oh, gosh, yeah, I was really wrong about that. Uh, very famously, the, the American poet Ezra Pound very much bought into fascist ideology and even went on the radio uh, spouting fascist propaganda at the U.S. troops uh, as they were advancing through Mussolini's Italy, and Pound, uh, Pound was jailed for treason, declared insane, uh, spent many years in an insane asylum in very poor condition. And when he came out, he sort of went through this therapeutic period in the last years of his life where he he said, look, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, I, I renounce what I said that I believed, uh, whether or not we interpret Pound as actually being sincere in that Pound got to repent, got to have a, a moment of public recantation of those totalitarian beliefs and totalitarian actions that he took. This you doesn't have that. This you has died in their wrongness. And and I think that in this poem, there's some pity for the you. There's a sense that Miwash thinks, maybe I could have saved the you. You whom I could not save, listen to me. Also, Miłosz gets to show off a little bit here, showing that he can describe trees and rivers and the Polish landscape, but it's a dark landscape, an immense bridge going into white fog. Here is a broken city, and that is literally broken. The Nazis demolished Warsaw. The Nazis didn't leave many important buildings standing Warsaw was deeply, deeply broken, just as a physical entity during the Nazi occupation. So when he says broken city, he's not this angsty American teenager who's like, there's a lot of stuff messed up in my city. This is, the buildings are crumbling because the Nazis don't want us to keep them. What is poetry which does not save nations or people? Whoa, that's an interesting transition. What is poetry which does not save nations or people? And then he gives us three descriptions of it. A connivance with official lies. If you speak in Nazi-occupied Warsaw, in public, you need to speak official lies or you'll be killed. And once again, if you speak as a foreign minister of the Soviet government while you're in Paris, you have to speak official lies. A song of drunkards whose throats will be cut in a moment. Readings for sophomore girls. That that last one is kind of a gut punch. And, and as as a teacher of sophomores, both in high school and college, I I'm I'm a little bit resentful of it, but Miwash knew, and I think he would know this more and more teaching in the American University, so often poetry is taught as a matter of course. And as a teacher who often has to introduce students to great poets for the first time, I understand that we need to spend a lot of time. We, we need to immerse in poetry in order to come to appreciate it. It took me a while uh, in high school and, and then in college to come to appreciate poetry. But, but, I, but it's, a, it's a little bit of a dig here. He's saying, look, poetry that doesn't save nations or people, that's a poetry that's either official lies, propaganda, speaking the legal words because the illegal words will get you killed. Or it's a song of drunkards whose throats will be cut in a moment, right? If you're not trying to save anyone or yourself, you're just spouting, mewash new, they'll slit your throat. Or it's been so put into an academic setting, into a rote exercise for youths, that it's uh, it's lost its power to save. Now, how can a poet, and, and critics have, have said this of this poem ever since ever since there has been criticism of this poem, how can a poet who's lived through Nazi occupation, how can a poet still be so optimistic to even suggest that n- poetry could save nations or people? That's an incredibly optimistic suggestion that it could, but Miłosz makes it. That I wanted good poetry without knowing it. That I discovered late its salutary aim. In this and only this I find salvation. Whoa. That word save has been used twice, and now we have the word salvation. And as a Catholic poet, you can bet he knows that salvation is a big, important religious, political word. He wanted good poetry without knowing it. He discovered late its salutary aim. And he finds salvation in this, that he wanted the good poetry. He didn't want the poetry that had been so academically confined that was, it was just a road exercise for kids. He didn't want a poetry that was a song of drunkards, because the song of drunkards gets you killed if you live in a world where illegal voices are silenced. Or the wrong kind of poetry, bad poetry, is just the party line And that party is the Nazi party, and that party is the Communist party. And neither of those parties' lines do you want to speak. Last stanza, and then we'll be done. They used to pour millet on graves or poppy seeds to feed the dead who had come disguised as birds. I put this book here for you, who once lived, so that you should visit us no more. The first two lines of this stanza are a great turn, we have this, I find salvation in this good poetry that attempts to save nations and states. And then he tells us this little interesting, almost magical fact. They used to pour millet on graves or poppy seeds to feed the dead who would come disguised as birds. It's a little tradition. How is it related? Well, he's just talked about how the you despised the traditions, how the you saw the strength of tradition in the Polish people as lethal and needing to be reordered out of them. And then finally we have these two very damning, I think, last lines. I put this book here for you who once lived so that you should visit us no more. I don't want you to come back. I don't want you to be a bird. I put this book here to remind you don't come back here. Miwash is bold. It it's not surprising that a poet who would write this would be both deeply celebrated by people who are oppressed and deeply hated by political establishments who want him to speak in connivance with official lies. Illegal voices are hard to read, I think partly because I often feel like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in, a, in a beautiful office in Houston, Texas, at uh, the St. Constantine School. It's... It, I think we're, we are often in danger in, a, in, our, in our free and privileged world of, of turning poetry, even the celebration of poetry, into uh, readings for sophomore girls, readings for American college professors, in just fun or just, ah, oh, how diverting. There was once a bold man. But, but you know, Miwash would say, and he did say often, look, I'm so glad America exists because it's a place where I can come when I've become unable to live in the places I called home because they were destroyed by fascism, they were destroyed by communism, and America gives me a place to continue living and continue speaking. I don't want to get political, but poetry and politics are always closely aligned, and this is an old lesson, uh, but an old strengthening lesson. When we find our voices are free and legal, we ought to use them to stand up for righteousness, to do justice and love mercy, and to walk humbly, not to be drunkards with our words, not to find some party lies and, and repeat them in order to gain power, but to seek salvation, uh, which in the end, of course, is man becoming like God, man loving like God, and man, however haltingly, trying to speak words that imitate the beauty and order of God. This is Dr. Timothy Bartell at the St. Constantine School. Thank you for listening.